is the history of space. Today, we talk about the first man-made object to ever reach the heights of space. The thing that single-handedly started our adventure into the deep, dark blackness of the universe. Today, we talk about the V-2 rocket. But before I actually do talk about this deadly Nazi ballistic missile, I must first talk about what even gave these engineers and scientists the idea to create it in the first place. At the beginning of the 20th century, scientists started drawing a huge inspiration about space travel from scientific writers. Two notable ones are Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. One famous story from Jules Verne was From Earth to the Moon. This book was all about a gun club which attempted to build a huge space gun, which was literally a cannon, like a huge pirate ship type cannon, to launch three of the characters onto the moon. H.G. Wells is someone we all have probably heard of by now. One of Wells' stories is called The First Men in the Moon. This book was about two characters who travel to the moon and discover the moon is inhabited by insect-like aliens. Another notable story is the one that we've all probably heard of, The War of the Worlds. This book is actually one of the earliest stories about alien conflicts with humans. It is all about London being invaded by Martians. These authors, and many others like them, inspired scientists to make these stories reality. The first realistic proposal for spaceflight comes from Konstantin Tsiolkovsky. This proposal was published in 1903, but it wasn't really popular outside of Russia. In 1919, Robert H. Goddard made flying to space actually a possibility. His paper, called A Method of Reaching Extreme Altitudes, discussed a rocket engine shape called the Dilavol nozzle. By using this specific nozzle shape, engines could be more efficient and produce more thrust. Nazis were actually very interested in Goddard's research. Before World War II was even a thing, there were times when German engineers and scientists would directly contact Goddard with technical questions about his research. They used his research to create their ballistic missiles. The Nazis, however, were a go big or go home type of group, so ballistic missiles were not enough for them. They wanted something huge. This vision of a huge rocket were the early designs for the V2 rocket. By 1941, the Nazis were successfully able to acquire all the technology to make this huge missile a possibility. It would use large liquid-fueled engines, supersonic aerodynamics, gyroscopic guidance, and rudders in jet control. At this time, however, Hitler was not a bit impressed. He thought this missile was a mere artillery shell that had longer range, but cost it way higher. The Nazi researchers didn't give up, though, and continued to push the idea for two whole years. In 1943, Hitler finally gave in, since he was impressed by all the rocket developers' enthusiasm. He decided to use the rocket as a wonder weapon that would maintain German morale and began to deploy them in large numbers. The V-2 rocket was a monster. The rocket had an operational range of 320 kilometers, 200 miles. To do this, it would launch itself 80 kilometers, 50 miles, into the air. If launched vertically, it could reach the bounds of space with a maximum altitude of 206 kilometers, 128 miles. Using an analog computer, the missile would use its fins to control its pitch as it reached its specific, specified height. Once it got there, it would shut off its engines and free fall towards the target. Hitler was very excited about the analog computer part. He stated that it is a great load off our mind that we have dispensed with a radio guiding beam. Now no opening remains for the British to interfere technically with the missiles in flight. The Nazis first used the V-2 rocket on September 8th of 1944. One was targeted at Paris and two at London. 
Strangely, the British government initially attempted to conceal the V-2 rocket's explosions to the public and blamed it on defected gas mains. Maybe since only three people died as a result of the two strikes they had. The public obviously didn't believe that and therefore began referring to the V-2 rockets as flying gas pipes. These rockets were however seen as a huge threat to the British generals. Unlike earlier Nazi missiles, the V-2's speed made it practically invincible to anti-aircraft guns. The missiles dropped from 100 kilometers in the air at up to three times the speed of sound. Many countermeasures were made in an attempt to thwart these dangerous missiles. It was unknown how the V-2 rockets were designed at the time, so it was believed that the rocket used radio guidance for its navigation. This led to the UK using ground and air-based jammers to jam the non-existent guidance systems. In October of 1944, a group had been sent to jam a missile that was being launched. By December, it was clear that these jammers had no effect on them, so they gave up on the idea. One crazy countermeasure was to shoot a huge barrage of anti-aircraft gun shells at the missile's predicted path. It was estimated that 320,000 shells would have to be shot for each rocket fired. However, even if the missile was successfully destroyed, it was estimated that 90 tons of rounds would fall back to the ground, ironically creating far more damage than the rocket would have. This concept was obviously then rejected because of that. This idea, though, did not die. A year later, 1945, after much revision, they were able to get the number of shells shot at the rocket down to 2,000 rounds, with a 1 in 60 chance of shooting the rocket down. The developers of the concept were all ready to put their idea in action, but then the war ended. All these countermeasures, however, were not really necessary. These rockets, for all their glory, were straight up trash. The rockets were so inaccurate that the V-2s rarely hit their designated targets. Even if they did hit their targets, the explosions used in the rockets were not that, well, explosive. Not only that, but the rockets were prone to failure at launch. This was maybe because of how complicated the building process was. But not only that, more people actually died manufacturing these V-2s than actually dying from being hit by the missiles. It is estimated that 9,000 civilians and military personnel died to V-2 attacks, but 12,000 forced laborers and concentration camp prisoners died making them. But not only that, the V-Weapons program cost the Nazis the equivalent of around $40 billion. That is 50% more than what it cost for the Manhattan Project. Freeman Dyson, a professor at Princeton, stated that we knew that each V-2 costs as much to produce as high-performance fighter airplanes. We knew that the German forces on the fighting fronts were in desperate need of these airplanes, and that the V-2 rockets were doing us no military damage. From our point of view, the V-2 program was almost as good as if Hitler were to adopt the policy of unilateral disarmament. These wonder weapons were actually turd. But even with how much of a disaster the V-2 program was, there was a lot of potential in its technology. The United States and the USSR saw that potential. After the war ended, there was a race between the two countries to take as many V-2 rockets and Nazi engineers and scientists as possible. What one of these two countries did with this technology afterwards created one of the coolest, interesting, and paranoia-induced technological leaps in history. But I guess I'll talk about that next time, on the next episode of The Our destiny, not yours. Come and please find this credit. Do I get a loan for?